Thank you, Denny. And good evening, church. It's so good to be with you tonight as we uh, study God's word together. After a short break, we're back into Proverbs. I invite you to open your Bibles uh, to Proverbs chapter 4. And if you're new to us, or if you just plain forgot, just a couple of reminders as you're, uh, as you're flipping there. God designed the world in wisdom, so the wisdom of God is meant for all people. However, Proverbs, you know, by and large, it's written specifically for the covenant people of God. That is, the only those who will understand Proverbs and seek to apply it and believe it are those who fear the Lord. After all, that is the beginning of wisdom. So that's one thing. And another thing, too, is, is Proverbs is not primarily, you know, a list of wise sayings. And it's certainly not a list of wise sayings that if we somehow legalistically follow, that will afford us a life of health, wealth, and prosperity, as so many people uh, teach but that's not what it is. We've seen all of our preachers have been, have been showing us that Proverbs is a collection of wisdom, of wise sayings that show us as God's people how to live well and faithfully in a world that is both designed by God in wisdom and ruled by God. That's the whole point of Proverbs. And so in Proverbs 4, what we have here to learn that is this really cool picture. It's a picture of a wise dad. So you can just imagine a wise dad, Solomon, sitting on the corner of his kid's bed. And he's giving them three lessons about life. This is how life works. And of course, it's reflective of our perfect heavenly father speaking to us as his children. Teaching us lessons about life. So Proverbs 4, you know, they're words of love. These three lessons we're about to read that teach us the only path of true and abundant life. Okay, so let's read it together, starting in verse 1 of Proverbs chapter 4. Hear the word of God. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight, for I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her. She will keep you, love her, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place in your head a a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Hear my son and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. I've taught you the way of wisdom. I've led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone else stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over which they stumble. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. 
keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and, and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all of your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for this morning's worship, and we're grateful for yet another occasion today that you've called us together to be with you together as your family, to worship you, to feed on your word, and to feed at your table. So, Lord, our our prayer for this night would be that by your spirit, you would fill us, you would nourish us, and that you would make us more and more like your beloved son. It's in his matchless name we pray. Amen. When an expert in their field tells us that something is a matter of life and death, you know, we do well to listen. You know, So if we have a doctor that says we have a heart condition, it's a matter of life and death, lay off the cheeseburgers. You know, we do well to listen to that, I think. If the meteorologist you know, says on the television, hey, there's a big tornado coming to your part of the town, get in the tub. We do well to listen to that, I think. Solomon is an expert in his field. He's an expert in wisdom. And what he's telling us here truly is a matter of life and death. In fact, that contrast, life and death, it's very prevalent throughout the pages of Proverbs. In fact, he uses many contrasts. He uses uh, life and death, light and darkness, righteousness and wickedness. If you just flip through Proverbs, you'll see those continually, those, those contrasts. And what Solomon is doing is using those, those contrasts to press home the reality that we might be sober to the fact that every single person on the planet of the earth is on one of two paths, the path of the wise or the path of the folly. And the difference truly is a matter of life and death. It's actually a forerunner to what the greater Solomon would say. There's but two roads, not three, but two. There's the broad road, which leads to destruction, or there's the narrow road, which leads to abundant life. That's the point, I think, that Solomon is driving home in Proverbs 4. Now, as we look at Proverbs 4, this isn't a gloom and doom chapter, as you just heard read. It's not only a list of don'ts, although those have their place, but this is primarily a positive chapter. Because Solomon, this wise dad, is showing us how to find and once found how to walk upon that narrow road. And isn't that why Jesus came? He came so that we might have life and have it abundantly. Isn't that what we all want to have abundant life? Every single person on the planet, whether if they're a believer or not, are looking for abundant life. Well, in a very Old Testament way, Proverbs 4 shows us how to find it. He gives us three lessons. The first lesson is how do we get going on this pathway of wisdom? How do we get going on this pathway of life? Secondly, how do we keep going on this pathway of life? And thirdly, how do we keep from stumbling as we walk along it together? So let's look at that first lesson. It's found in verses 1 through 9. 
lessons on how to get going on the pathway of life. In these first couple of verses, you can see for yourself, uh, Solomon makes an appeal to his children for his children to listen to him. And the sheer number of ways that he makes this appeal signifies the importance of what he's about to say. I really value what Kathleen Nielsen, she's an excellent commentator, by the way. She has one on Proverbs. And her commentary, she says what we get this picture in these first nine verses is of a parent having to repeat him or herself like a million times over so their kid finally gets it. Parents, have you been in that place before? You know, you have to repeat yourself not once, not twice, but like a hundred times for it finally to seek in for your kids. That's what's happening here. Solomon is saying, kids, yes, dad, listen to me. You got it. Put down the iPad. You got it. Listen to what I'm about to say. Dad, we, we, we understand. Don't forget what I'm about to say. It's really important. Okay, we got it. Are you ready? Yep. Are you sure? Dad, <laughs> you're telling me the same thing five times over. He goes, well, usually because you don't listen the fourth first time. I have to tell you a fifth time. And the reason I'm telling you a fifth time is because what I'm about to tell you is of the utmost importance. It's the key to your life, kids. It's the key to your well-being. It's the answer to that part of you that lives on forever. So listen to what I'm about to say. Yes, dad, get wisdom. Do you want to know how you get on the pathway of life? Get wisdom, verse seven. Now it's kind of strange that he says that. We'll get to it in just a second. But friends, there is a slew of things that we can glean from for these first nine verses. First and foremost, the importance of parents raising their children in the faith. And not only the importance of parents raising their children in faith, the beautiful blessing of having godly grandparents who do the exact same thing. I love that verse three. Verse three, he's looking at his kids and he's saying, I know that I'm annoying you right now, but I I didn't invent this stuff that I'm telling y'all. In fact, my, my dad taught me. Your granddad taught me. And presumably his dad taught him. And presumably his dad taught him. And what we're doing in your room tonight, me bothering you right now, is an ancient tradition of the people of God who have been commanded since the days of Moses, Deuteronomy 6, to raise up their children in the faith. Kids, I am telling you the most important thing you could ever hear. I'm telling you about Yahweh. The one who rescued an undeserving people from slavery. The one who obligated himself to me and to you. He gave us that covenant promise. You remember me telling you this, that that not only will he be our God, but also the God of our children. That includes you. And I want you to know this. It's the most important thing you could ever hear. And friends, isn't it a kindness and a blessing from God, those of us who grew up with Christian parents and grandparents who, like Paul, resolved to know nothing among us except for Christ crucified and taught us the wisdom of the cross. And if you didn't have that blessing, what a privilege and opportunity you have now to break that cycle and start afresh. But every single one of us are challenged in these first nine verses, regardless of your parental status, to take seriously our covenant vows, those covenant vows which we took at 815 service this morning, to help raise the children of this church in the knowledge of the Lord, to tell them about God, 
to tell them about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even when they get annoyed by us. Why are you telling me for the fifth and a hundredth time? Because it's important. It's the most important thing you'll ever hear. It's the answer to your life, to your well-being, that part of you that lives forever. Get wisdom. Now, that's his point for all of us. Now, what does that mean to get wisdom? Um, It's kind of strange that he phrases it like that. In fact, if you look at verse 7, he says, the beginning of wisdom, get wisdom. Which ironically does not sound very wise. You know, (laughs) that's just strange that he puts it like that. So what is he saying? The beginning of wisdom is get wisdom wisdom. I think this is what he's saying. He's saying, Hey kids, you want to get started on this way of life that I've been talking to you about? Commit to wisdom. I think that's what he's saying. Cause look at the surrounding verbs. He says, hold fast to it, keep it, love it, prize it, embrace it. It's almost as if he's saying, Hey, you want to get going on this roadway of abundant life, be in a relationship with wisdom. Isn't that what grandpa David did? I mean, he wasn't a perfect guy. You know, I'm not perfect, but but that's what he did with his life. And isn't that what he told us? Listen, you, you don't have to imitate everything about David, but you'd be a fool, Hebrews 13, not to imitate his faith, which took him well into life. Proverbs 4 is showing us, church, the value of past voices in the church. The value of past Saints. So let's just think about it. What are, at the end of the day, the saints of old saying to us now? What's the hall of faith in Hebrews saying to us now? If you boil it all down, this is what they're saying. Christ did not fail us. And he won't fail you either. So commit to him. Isn't that the testimony of all of scripture that God is faithful to keep his promises to an undeserving people that all of his promises are yes and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ. By the time we get to the New Testament, we see that the wisdom of Solomon is not daily tips for wise living, but it's ultimately a person that we know in his path, which we follow. Jesus Christ is the wisdom of Solomon incarnate. He is the word of God incarnate. Commit to him. One commentator, Derek Kidner, says bluntly in his commentary that to get going on this pathway of life, what it takes is not brains. It's not a know-how. It's not even how much you know. It's not an opportunity. It's a decision that we make. You want life? Commit to Christ and his word, and he'll give it to you abundantly. You want to be wise in this, in this crooked, weird, confusing world? Commit to Christ and his word, and he'll make you wise to the things that last. Commit to him. That's how we get going. So go back to Proverbs 4. Here's Solomon looking intently into the eyes of his children, urging them to set their heart upon that prize, the only prize of the world that which that will not fail them. And that's exactly what our perfect heavenly father is doing to us too, isn't it? Looking to every single one of us in our eyes saying, hey, don't listen to the fools out there. They think they're wise, but they're not. Don't listen to their lies. Don't don't take in the false promises of this world because they do not pay out. But commit to me. Commit to my wisdom. Commit to my word. Commit to the incarnate word. And I'm going to be real with you since I'm a good father. 7B, verse 7B. Committing to me is going to cost you. 
That's what 7B means. Committing to me is going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you every preconceived notion that you have about yourself and how life works. And sometimes it's going to be unsettling. But it's worth it. What does Solomon say? Commit to him and he will make us alive. He will guard us. He will keep us. He will exalt us. He will crown us with beauty. What in this world can make that promise and deliver? Nothing but setting our heart upon the Lord Jesus Christ and committing to the wisdom of his word. He is the pearl of great price. He is the treasure of the field. Commit to him and his word. I believe that's the lesson, the first lesson in verses 1 through 9. The second lesson in verses 10 through 19 is how we keep going. In verse 13, it looks like Solomon is telling his kids, listen, I've just told you the most important thing you'll ever hear. Hold fast to that. Keep going on this way of wisdom. And this is what's going to keep you going on the way of wisdom, on this way of abundant life. Understand that eternity is at stake. I mean, that's the gist of what he says in verses 10 through 19, I believe. I mean, just imagine Solomon. He's this, you know, he's this grizzled spiritual war vet. You know, he's seen some stuff, if you know the life of of Solomon. But now he's giving real-time, wartime tactics to new recruits like us about how to keep alive. (laughs) He goes, let me tell you something I've learned in in this life. Every decision matters. There's not one thing that's insignificant. I mean, one foot in front of another kid's, one decision after another, that constitutes a path. Of which there's only two, as I've already told you, the path of wisdom and the path of folly. And you got to understand, guys, that those two paths, they lead to someplace eternal. So hold fast to what I told you. And in order to press this home, he then describes these two paths and their ultimate destination. So the path of folly, we see this in verses 14 through 17 and verse 19. Go ahead and look at verses 14 through 15. Even before he starts describing the pathway of folly, he gives us six warnings in these two verses. He goes, let me tell you about this pathway of folly. You know what? Just don't even go down that road. Don't even think about it. If you think about it, turn your brain off, turn around and walk the other way. Don't go. He tells us six times. Now, of course, these warnings are not threats. They're not arbitrary rules. Do this because I said so. But in his kindness, he's warning us factually what will happen if we begin down the roadway of folly. Two things happen. First off, we become a slave to folly. This is what he says in verse 16. We become a slave to it. You begin down this road. Eventually, eventually it's going to consume you and you yourself will become folly. You know, looking through the sermon, um, I listened to a Tim Keller sermon, and he referred to this story that had a profound influence on his life. And I tried to find it, I couldn't. So I'm just going to tell you as, as Tim remembered it. But it was an old interview that he saw on television of a man about 80 years old who was in prison, life in prison. And the interview on television was, what was it like? How did you get here? What led you here? And so the man started out remembering a story of when he was a child. 
As a child, his dad had this really expensive gold watch that was just fascinating to this little boy. And of course, the dad didn't want anybody else to mess around with it because it was that expensive. But one night, the little boy walked into his dad's room and he saw that watch and he fiddled with it. You know, he just did what his dad told him not to. So he got that watch and he was playing with it. Well, of course, he eventually broke it. And he was devastated. He couldn't believe it. Like he had done exactly what his dad warned him not to do. So he put the watch back on the bedstand and crept out and went to sleep as if nothing happened. The next day, of course, the dad find that the watch is broken. So he gathered all the kids together and asked who did this. And as you would guess, the little boy didn't say anything. He hid it. Several years later, that man grows up and on his way from home from work, he accidentally runs over a boy. And he was so scared. So he races home because he, he, was, he was terrified. But when he got home, he got more afraid because he had realized not only did he just kill this boy, but it was a hit and run. And he just knew that he was going to get in trouble. So he tried to hide it. Eventually, the police found him and threw him in prison. And he's been there ever since. In the interview, this is what he said. What fixed my destiny was not the decision I made on the road that day but the little decisions of self-preservation I've been making since I was a kid. And that's kind of what Solomon is saying here. He's saying, before we get on this road of folly, we have a decision to make. We have the option not to get on it. But if we get on it and we continue on it, eventually we're not going to be able to get off. I mean, look what he says in verse 16. You get to a place, you get to a point of your life where you just cannot sleep until you have done wrong and cause someone else to do wrong. I don't think that's literal. I think that's describing when we overtly or most, mostly subtly rebel against God, whether it's gossip or lying, adultery, idolatry, whatever it is, eventually it just becomes who we are. It sears our conscience so much so that we want other people to join us in this. We help them join us in it because it justifies our existence and our, and our way of life. That's the language of addiction. Now, what is this addiction to? I believe it's the addiction of self. I mean, that's what Adam did in the garden. He chose himself over God. He chose himself over others. Is that not the wisdom of the world to choose you over and over to exalt yourself, even at the expense of others? And so verse 16 says, day by day choices of choosing yourself over God. Eventually, you're just going to be consumed by that. You're going to be a slave to it. But that's not the last stop. He, he ends in verse 19. He says, eventually, this ends in darkness. Now, I think that's kind of a two-pronged darkness. There's the present darkness. Like we said earlier, a lot of people out in the world who do, know, do not know the Lord think they are wise, but they're not. Solomon says what they're actually like are, is like a person in a very dark room just stumbling over their feet, making a total mess of their lives. And I think that's true, but I don't know. I don't think that's what Solomon is getting at here. I think he's talking about eternal darkness. Because the reality is, is if we are on this road of folly, that means that we're continually rejecting the fear of the Lord. And to continually reject the fear of the Lord means that you're rejecting the Lord himself. You are in sin, not just sinning, but you're in sin. And of course, that results in eternal darkness. And so here's Solomon. He says, kids, remember that your decisions matter. One foot in front of another, one decision after another results in a path. And that path is headed somewhere. Don't get on this one. 
And if you are on that one, just repent and get off of it. Don't put your hope in yourself. Don't put your hope in this world. What I want for you, what I desire for you more than anything else is for you to put your hope in the eternal promises of God. Look at verse 18. He says, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. He said, yes, this roadway of folly leads somewhere eternal, but the way of the Lord does too. And friends, it's brilliant. It gets brighter and brighter until full day. It doesn't mean God's way is easy, but his way is sure. And it is safe. And Solomon says, it gets you home. Do you hear the hope in verse 18? The way of wisdom shines brighter and brighter until full day. That sounds an awful lot like Philippians 1, 6. To me anyway, when, when Paul is talking to people like us, trying to faithfully follow the Lord, but we're doing it with a limp and sometimes we get frustrated in our sanctification. And what does Paul say in Philippians 1, 6? Paul says, remember church, he who started a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus. Full day. And so the pastoral moment, I think that, that Solomon has given us, but certainly Paul is when we feel like we're lousy Christians. And truthfully, we are lousy Christians. We're imperfect and we have limps, right? But Paul says, no, listen, when you have faith in Jesus Christ, he has dawned in your life. And it might just be a little sliver of light on the horizon right now. But what Solomon and Paul are saying is that the sun is rising and it gets brighter and brighter and darkness can not stop it. He says, rejoice in that. Set your mind and your heart on that eternal promise because that's what lies ahead. So Paul in Philippians 3, forget what lies behind you. Forget the lies of this world. Set your mind on what lies ahead, that upward calling of being found in the Lord Jesus Christ on that great day to come. Set your mind on that. Hope hope in those promises. And that will keep you going. Thirdly, what will keep us from stumbling? For those of us who have come to Christ, for those of us who have put our hope in the Lord Jesus and by faith are seeking to strain forward to what lies ahead, as Paul tells us in Philippians 3, what prevents us from stumbling? Because the reality is even the most mature of us in the Lord Jesus stumble, right? So what keeps us from stumbling? The reality is there's lots of practical things that we can do regarding accountability that prevents us from stumbling or could help us um, keep us from stumbling. But what Solomon says here, the, the primary thing that we must do above all else is guard our hearts. Do all that other stuff, but make this the priority. Guard your heart. Because think about it. Say we're struggling with some particular sin. And our mentor in the faith is helping us burn the ship back to that sin. And you should listen to him. That's wise. But if we leave our hearts unguarded, this is what we're going to do in about a week's time. We're just going to build another bridge right back to that sin. And I know we've all experienced that. Rebuilding bridges back towards sin. That's why Solomon here says, above all else, guard your heart. Why? 
Because the heart is the fountain for all of our activity. It's the very seat of our being. It's the center of who we are. It's the realm of our beliefs. It's the realm of our attitude. It's the realm of our actions and relationships. And because it's so important, you better believe the evil one will attack us there every step along the way. So here's Solomon in wisdom in his grizzled spiritual experience where he says, above all else, keep your heart. In the original language, that's like build a castle around those things that you're trying to protect. Keep it. Build a keep around your heart. Guard it. Know it inside and out. Now, how do we do that? Well, as we've heard every single Proverbs sermon, the beginning of wisdom is fearing the Lord. We've also heard that fearing the Lord is not first an action, but rather it's an attitude of the heart. All right, so what's the attitude of someone who fears the Lord? Again, I love what Kathleen Nielsen says. She says, a heart that fears the Lord is one that reveres him. And because they revere him, believing him, They drink deeply from his word. And that's what it means to guard your heart. You actually believe what God says to you. And because of that, you drink deeply from the fountain of his word. This is what Solomon says in verses 20 through 22. Be attentive to my words. Let them not escape your sight. Keep your eyes fixated on them. They are life to those who find them and they're healing to all of their flesh. Keep your heart. Guard your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Doesn't that sound reminiscent of what the greater Solomon said in, in the Gospel of John? When Jesus says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Our hearts have a thirst and a hunger that cannot be quenched by anything but the Lord Jesus Christ. And how does he do it? Well, he tells us later in John, in John chapter 15, when he says, abide in my word, abide in me. And what that means is, is that you keep my word. And in the end of chapter 15, he tells us why he commands us to abide in his word. Get it. This is what he says. So that my incomparable, my divine joy might be in you. And therefore your joy be made full. So Proverbs 4 says, what will keep you and me from stumbling? Don't cram your heart full of death. But fill it with the love of Christ, which we do by drinking daily from his word. And as we do, he fills us. And what Solomon says in the remaining verses, when he fills us, it just flows out of us to every area of our life in which we regularly stumble. If you're drinking deeply from the word of God, it will chasten your tongue, causing you to no longer speak words of death or deceit, but words of truth and life. If you're drinking deeply from the word of God, it will direct your eyes to things that are worthy of the eyes of a prince or a princess in the family of God. You will want to stare at those things which delight the Lord. If you're drinking deeply from the word of God, it will steady your feet as you walk along 
this roadway of wisdom up into that glorious day, that full day when our Father says to us, well done, my good and faithful servant. Listen to the wise words of Solomon. Solomon was not always a wise guy. He had a hard life, many years filled with folly. But in Ecclesiastes, when he gets older, he looks back on those wasted years and he found no joy in them. Seeking out the wisdom of this world, he found no joy there. There were wasted years chasing wind. But eventually, he learned the lesson. Fear the Lord. Brothers and sisters, how do we get wise how do we experience life? 